This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Chad and Sarah Meitner talk about their family mission trip. What is it like to take your family to a foreign country to help others? One body, one body. How did their children react? One body, stewarding God's creation. Well, let's find out. Chad and Sarah are being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Cody Marincer. So we've got um, uh, Chad and Sarah Meitner in here. Mr. Meitner took the reins of uh, principal at Thomas More Prep Marion High School in 2015. And I, I should say that's um, uh, high school and junior high. And right. maybe we'll get into it later. But also we will be adding the uh, sixth grade up yep. there. here. Soon to be a middle school. Yes, yep. hey, we'll have that full middle school going. Um, and then Sarah, you are the executive director of the Heartland Community Foundation. You guys have five children, Julia, Henry. Henry, Charles, Leo, and Abe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you usually call him Abe, right? It's Abraham, yeah. but you yep. usually go by Abe, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. It is great having you guys on, hear their uh, story um, about a, uh, it's not really a vacation, <laughs> but a mission trip that you guys took. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of start. Where did you take a mission to, and how did it all start coming about? Who wants to? Yeah. I'll let well, Chad start. Yeah, I mean, we, we, it's, when I was even younger, I always wanted to travel, and so one of the ways that I was able to travel as a youngster was to go to first for school with like to learn Spanish, and then when you were there in those countries, the third world countries, a lot of times you saw um, immense need, and so then of course with my faith, it was an opportunity to practice the faith in missions, and so when. I became a father myself, and I thought, wow, it'd be really cool to take my kids to do some of these things. And so Julia was our oldest, and our oldest daughter, when she was uh, just after her freshman year of high school, I was talked her into taking a mission trip with me. You can imagine how excited she was, but uh, I twisted her arm, and we, we, we did get a go to Peru. And so being able to do that for with her really is what led us to doing this is a family here uh, in 2022. Okay. So, you know, you talked a little bit about that twisting of the arm. You know, I don't think I've ever heard of a child that went to a mission trip, at least none that I know of, that had, that was even just a little bit willing, um, (laughs) that came back and was like, yeah, that was terrible. Um, I'm laughing because that is how all of of the kids, when we post this, they were not super excited okay so So bring us up so where'd we go chad well we went to when i went with julia in 2019 we went to ecuador so she came back pretty excited Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned all kids really do when they get a chance to live their faith in that way and so she was actually the biggest uh proponent of the family going on something together because of the great experience she had. And that was great because I don't think I would have, we would have maybe talked Sarah into going, especially with all our kids, especially Abe, who was only eight years old and has Down syndrome. You know, all those things that you kind of put as why we can't do something. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia really helped break that down and get us excited that, yeah, why not do this? You left out too that you had already done two other mission trips. <laughs> When you, as a teacher, as a teacher, right? Yeah, yep. he, you had gone to Honduras and El Salvador already. Yep. So when I was a we, teacher at Sacred Heart in Salina, mm-hmm. as a Spanish teacher, I had forgotten about, I didn't forget about those trips. But yeah, the, those were some further experiences of seeing how 
teenagers and youth could really get a lot out of uh, a trip like that, not only for the cultural experiences, but their faith. Yeah. Yeah. So then COVID happened and we kind of had to put those ideas on the back burner, but but maybe in that way too, they they percolated a little bit longer. And the company that he had, that Julia and Chad had traveled with was wonderful and very um, accommodating and trustworthy and had a long history of um, being in all parts of the world and doing a good job. And so we turned to them and Chad had reached out kind of wanting to know when they were going to be returning to mission work after the after COVID. And they did a medical mission and, and then in March of last spring and then opened it up for families to return. And, and they it's the company is called the Family Missions Company. Uh, and they they've been they were wonderful to work with. So we we really were kind of open to wherever they were willing to go in light of just opening back up. But it ended okay. up being Peru. Their missions they have two mission sites in Peru, and the one that they were sending a mission group to was in a little town called Pacota in northern Peru, kind of on the edge of the Amazon, I guess. Yeah, kind of where it's transitioning from the Andes into highlands, but. Mm-hmm starting to be kind of like rainforest. For Kansas, it was a rainforest. It was a rainforest. People down there didn't it was, consider that the legit it was winter. rainforest. Yeah. It was winter and very, very hot <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> in, right. that, in that part of Peru. So, okay. yeah, so that it – and then, you know, the chips started falling, I guess. And that's when you always know that you're doing what, what God wants you to do because it all kind of worked out. We were able to find flights. We were able to work it out with our work schedules. Yeah, so we were gone – we left July 7th, I think, and it, we ended up being at the mission site for one full week, Saturday to a Saturday. Okay. Now, leading up to that, though, um, you said that uh, Julio helped a lot, you know, because she was able to say, no, this was a great experience for me and stuff like that. But did you just one day go, hey, we're going? <laughs> <laughs> or how did that kind of happen? Well, yeah, you kind of you talk about it with your kids and they kind of look at you funny and, and you say, well, you know, we're looking into it and we're thinking about it. But yeah, at some point you have to, when you put the, when you buy the plane tickets, you're committed, you know, you yeah. put the money down. And, and so when we told the kids that we'd bought the plane tickets, it was kind of like, okay, we're trusting you to take us, but you could just see the apprehension on their faces. Like <laughs> this isn't going to Florida or Oklahoma, dad. So, and really, you know, we have five kids, so we had not even all flown as a family yeah. before because when you have a lot of kids, you have to road trip, you know, uh-huh. with, yeah. can't road trip to Peru. So for our younger <laughs> yeah. kids, this was their first time on an airplane even. So yeah, yeah. it was once those tickets were bought, they knew we were serious. Oh, yes. I've never been able to go out of the country on my own. Hopefully in the future, I'll be able to do that. But one thing I do know from hearing people come back from it is um, I have a sister and uh, her husband took their kids. Their kids will still, to this day, from what I know, say that that was actually their favorite Christmas because they went during Christmas to do that. And when they missed the kids that they encountered there and mm-hmm. the relationships they built with the people there. Have you guys noticed some of the same type of things? Do, you, do your kids, did they come back and talk about a lot of what happened? Were they excited about it? Kind of what was their response to getting back and then kind of settling back into this life? That's an interesting question. I think... The younger ones have kind of just, it was something we did, and they're moving, they're just right into the next thing. The older kids, like Julia and even 
Charlie, I think, our, our 13 year old. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about it because I think they are old enough to really recognize the differences between our home and our culture here in the United States versus what, what they saw and experienced there and the people they met. They, they still talk about some of the people they shared those experiences with. I was going to say, like, even though they came back in and there was a little bit of a, a reentry adjustment coming mm-hmm. back, just having been gone even for as long as we were away, but they have continued to talk about the people, um, some of the fellow and really the ones that I've heard more about were the fellow missionaries. Oh, really? You know, some of the other missionaries who were there with us, there were some other families there as well. And then the company, Family Missions Company, employs full-time missions, mission workers who live in these communities. They commit for two to three years. I forget what it was. But but then they also had recruited um, local Peruvians who also came alongside on the mission. And one of those guys, his name was Andres, and... Oh, my gosh. He endeared himself into the hearts of all of my children. (laughs) And literally, Julia just mentioned him yesterday to me (laughs) about needing to reach out to Andreas on social media to see how he's doing. So. Wow. They, yeah, it, it definitely stuck with them. So talk about encountering Christ. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing because, yeah, I always just think about the people that you're going to serve, but not mm-hmm. so much about that. And yet here they encountered Christ and another person who was serving with them. As well, yeah. Right. That is beautiful. That's catchy. We had some really neat, we had really neat groups with us. So we were the family from Kansas, though when we got there, we found out that the family that was living there is also from Kansas. The the wife and the husband both are. Um, They had both, she had come from, well, she is, she had was come from Wichita and he, I guess, wasn't, but they had lived in Wichita prior to get together, prior to moving down. And then one of the single missionary, a woman was from... Kansas. Where was she from? Clearwater? South, down near south of Wichita, which was really interesting. No yeah. Um, but then we had a, uh, another family who had kids kind of spaced like ours, who were, was from Florida, who joined us. And then there was a larger group from Boston that they had a priest with them. It was a youth group, like college-age kids. Okay. I think they were all college-aged, maybe a high schooler. but And they, were, they had a group of nine, and they were with okay. us. And then we joined other families who were who were permanently there, and and so our our group in total had fifty, fifty two people, I think it was something like that. Oh wow! Um, so lots of age overlap with our kids. You know, they had somebody to kind of connect with, and then same with even for us, just finding other dads and sharing that, or or other women and sharing that. You hop off the plane. What happens after that? I mean, where does it go? Yeah, well, that's when the missionaries who you're working with, this family mission company that Sarah mentioned, their their missionaries are there, ready to pick you up, and that's that's part of the excitement. You get off the plane in a place you've never been, and it's a strange language, and and you hot, walk out, and it's hot. <laughs> that's for us. Uh, and you walk out, and there are these people with these huge smiles who are just so excited to see you. This we had been the first groups since COVID. So even these missionaries were like chomping at the bit to get back at what they do, which is welcoming people from the States and then helping them serve others. And so, yeah, you just, they come up, they hug you, they say, hey, I'm from here and welcome and who are you? And so you just start talking and and they load you in a back of a pickup truck (laughs) illegally in the U.S., but not illegal in Peru. And 
and you just trust the Holy Spirit that you're not going to wreck or fall out of the pickup truck, and, and they whisk you off to the site. So everything's an adventure for the kids, and even us, like, oh, look at that gas station that we have to stop in, and look at the pop that you can buy there, and the candy, and everything is different and new, and, and that just, it was an adventure from the minute you got off the plane. Yeah, so... You know, what are some things that are, I think a lot of us can probably figure out some of them, but, you know, even as you said that, it doesn't seem like there was any, all right, let's go to where we're staying, we'll put our stuff away, we'll relax a little bit. I mean, it sounds like more, am I right, in that it was, nope, we're ready to go. Um, So what are some of the differences between going on a vacation and going on a mission? (laughs) Well, they had everything planned for us. So we knew we were staying at a site, their mission site. They have sort of a home base that's right in the middle of the village in Picota, which is a small little village. I think small. I think about 10,000 people. But there's a whole um, network of little villages that are all around there. And we sort of learned they all have little, they're all called little pueblos, and they all have little churches within them. And one priest, basically, who tries to serve the entire area. Some of these churches only have mass once a year that are wow. said there. they So the missionaries really fill the gap with prayer services and having other fellowship types of opportunities. So they had um, everything planned for us. So they told us where to go and what to do and had plenty of time to get acquainted with each other. And then had, and that included meals, that included where we were staying, and then our daily chores. You know, we had daily chores assigned in groups. So our family, we had bathroom duty, we had kitchen duty, we had other things that we had to do. But then daily tasks that involved getting out in the community and either doing physical labor or doing prayer with, with people that we met. And those duties were were fun in themselves, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you're down there with people. You get put in teams. So even for your kids to have to group up with these other kids, do be on kitchen duty, and be responsible for that was just it – was, it was a humbling for them to see that, you know, you got to pitch in. you got to do your share. We're all here. This isn't a luxury place. You know, you've got to do what you need to do to be able to have a bed to sleep in and the food to be able to share the meal. You've got to do your share. And so it, uh, even though it maybe sounds like, oh, gosh, I wouldn't want to be on kitchen duty or bathroom duty, you're, it's, uh, I guess, a very shared experience. And you make fun of even those, uh, those things. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I, I did learn, you know, we had our little guy with us. Abe, is he's eight, and he has Down syndrome. And... We knew that this was a family-friendly mission. There were lots of children. I think the missions, the missionaries who live there, between the three families, they had 13 children. So there were already lots of kids we knew who were going to be down there. Yeah. But Abe, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure. And I, I always tell everybody to presume that he can do anything, right? But that very first day, part of our responsibilities, the chores, were you had to wash your own dishes. Mm-hmm. And they had a long, you know, trough type of a setup where you could go and wash your dishes. And I watched one of the missionaries, the little girl, I think maybe she was three, maybe four, and she was washing her plate. And I had I had just assumed I was going to wash Abe's. But seeing her, I was like, oh, no, he can wash his own plate. And so he did from then on, I mean, with some supervision. But sure. he, um, yeah, he he pitched in and washed his own plate, too, just like we all had to do. Wow. Now, um, so correct me if I'm wrong. You seem like you're probably a planner. 
Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm not wrong. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought I was judging you a little bit, but I figured I was probably right. Um, so, but is that a little bit freeing though? To so I, I'm thinking about a vacation. Sometimes you get home from a vacation and you're like. I need a vacation from my vacation. I'm so tired, you know, yeah. and it, a lot of it's that mental stress of what are we going to do? Is that a little bit freeing in like we were talking the surrender of, be like, okay, I don't have to set the schedule. I don't have to try to plan. Okay. We're going to a CC. I mean, I know different country, um, but you know, uh -huh. um, if, if we're thinking about wherever you're going, um, you don't have to plan all that stuff. What is the freeing part of that? That definitely, you're right. We talked about that that I didn't have to plan meals for a week because they they took care of that. And they were good. We had a cook on there at the mission site who cooked for us. Yeah, that was definitely part of the, the you know, an upside. There were lots of upsides. But from somebody who maybe does dwell on details, to just let that go, it, it is freeing. And let them tell us what we're doing. We were just along for the ride. Okay. Yeah. Right away when you get there, the missionaries have to set the ground rules and, you know, tell you how it's going to work. And one of their themes is we don't know what's, we don't know what it's going to be or what it's going to happen, but it's going to be good. Great. It's yeah. going to be great. It's to kind of set that mindset of this is a third world country. Things are not going to always go as planned. You, the car might break down. The people we expect to go visit might be gone. So you just got to be flexible. You have to go with the flow. And so I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. And, and that's surrender, like you mentioned, just trusting God that he puts you here for a reason. And whatever happens, that's part of, of why you're there. And, and it is. It's very – it's a stress release to not have to worry about what you're going to do to entertain the kids every minute of the day. Yeah. Um, so. And they couldn't even ask for screens because there were there, there was no Wi-Fi. Oh, <laughs> there nice. was no cell service. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no point in even bringing any of it along. So they there was no so that really was extra freeing too. They had to just yeah. be engaged with the people there and what they were doing. Wow. As you guys were saying that, that kind of reminds me it's kind of like being a principal of a Catholic school. I don't know what's going to happen today. <laughs> but, but it's going to be great. going to get me through it. <laughs> Fantastic. So what are some of the things that you guys really looked forward to every day once you kind of got into a routine there? Well, every day was a little bit different. Okay. You know, we, um, well, first of all, sleeping, we had two bunk houses. There was a woman's bunk and a men's bunk. So my daughter and I and, and our little guy, actually, he was able to come on our side. And we were on one side and Chad took the boys to the other side. And, and so then there were bathrooms in the middle. And then we had a shared common space for dining and then kitchen area. But we also had a chapel right there, a, a, right there on site. So we would begin our morning every day with either mass or a music and fellowship and prayer and um, songs that we had never even heard. I mean, they were English songs because it was the missionaries who were leading it, but new music that we had not heard before. And so we re I really enjoyed that. But then we would, after we finished in the church, we would also go around and do intentions as a group or or we would even separate into women and men which w was a little bit different as well so we would do what we were grateful for or what our prayer intentions were um, and we would discuss that in the morning and then we would separate into smaller groups and our group was so large that there were generally three or four work groups that were dispatched out to the different things that they had planned 
I was fortunate that I kind of had, I didn't have to do all of the heavy lifting. <laughs> I was sort of, I had, Abe was my excuse. So um, we tended to stick more to the the prayer time, the um, visiting with people in the Pueblos. We did do some labor in a, in a church that we can talk a little bit more about. But Chad and the guy, the boys had to go do some more heavy, heavy stuff. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and the missionaries are there, they're working. So they do have projects that they're trying to complete for the people to help them. And they, so they would do things, I don't say as difficult, but as, as helpful to the people as like, they would find people who had a lot of people had dirt floors, right? And the very, these poor, these are basically metal wood frame with metal sheets of huts is all they've got. And so some of these, when and they were on hills when it would rain, the water would just rush through their house and mud would come in and fill it up and and it would rain quite frequently there. So they would some of these homes they would put in new concrete floors. So we would they would set up a concrete mixer and they don't have trucks, right? You don't bring a truck into these places. Yeah. You, they brought in these mixers and the only thing that was good about it, they were gas powered, so at least you didn't have to mix it with by shovel, but they would bring in the bags of concrete by hand dump them in the mixer, start the mixer up, and then pour it out, and then you'd take it by wheelbarrow into the, the, the homes and start putting down the floor for these people. And so they had some craftsmen who knew how to do that, and we were their hired hands basically helping bring in the, the concrete or smooth it out or dig the dirt out of the way so we could make it a level floor. Um, so that was one of the big projects me as a man. I felt like, gosh, that's really helping people a lot because if I had a home with my family, yeah, that would be a huge um, – I guess a upgrade from a dirt floor to having a concrete floor would just make all the difference in the world for how clean and neat my home would feel for my family. So um, these missionaries really think about the best ways to help the families that are lasting impacts, you know. Very much so, yeah. yeah. So we so in addition to doing the dirt floor, they also had identified a church that was in a little nearby pueblo. Um, the name of it was Primavera, which means springtime um, in Spanish. And there was this church that really was not that old of a church, but it had had fallen into disrepair. And so they had a group out there every single day. The first group, the first day, there was a group just cleaning and getting all of the dust cleaned up and swept and things. And then there was prepping the walls to be painted and cleaned and patched the plaster that had fallen and had holes and things. So prepping and then it moved on to painting and painted the entire church. You know, there was a lot of taping that had to happen to protect windows and artwork and things like that, too, and, and painting. And then, like, by the end of the week, we were able to see the final result. We were there on day two and then day, the fifth day. So I got to see how it looked with the tape all down and how, how much of a transformation that we had made in this church. And they held a prayer service there that week we were there, and we're continuing to do that. We've sort of followed some of the photos online that they've continued to have prayer services back in that in that church since we were able to to clean it up. We also even got a jump on fixing things on the outside because we had so many people to pitch in that we didn't have that paint to start painting it, but we got it all prepped for them to do. So that was one project that lasted all week that Abe and I were still able to help with. 
That is great. Thank you so very much for giving us some insight into that and into what daily life looks like there. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more with Chad and Sarah Meitner talking about their family mission trip. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. One body. Chad and Sarah Meitner. One body, stewarding God's creation. Family mission trip. One body. One body. Cody Marincer conducts the One interview. We are on Divine Mercy Radio speaking with uh, uh, Chad and Sarah Meitner, and uh, they're t- talking to us about their mission trip. And so one thing that I wanted to get back to just really quickly is um, – uh, especially considering what you guys saw, I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I have a 3,600 square foot home. <laughs> <laughs> so now I do have a family of nine, but there, um, family size and space, what are we looking at? Little <laughs> outdoor bathrooms. Yeah, I mean, just like a lot of places, there's people who are middle class and well off, but yeah, the percentages are would surprise, I think, most people if they haven't been to those countries that. How many people live in? Boy, I'd say 800 square foot, maybe these oh, wow. these, and they and because of the climate, they they do expand it. So their patio is actually livable space most of the year round. But yeah, there's no insulation. There's rarely a lot of these places don't have windows in the sense that we do. And you know the family sizes are not as large as maybe they used to be. I'd say the families that we had poured floors for. One was six, a uh, family of six, and one was a, a family of four. They might be multi-generational. Like it might be yeah. grandparents living uh-huh. in the same house. Yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, the, the streets would be cobblestone or, or dirt or sand. And, and again, if they're in the hilly areas there, those could be washed out quite a bit. We did see a lot of government projects that really seem to focus on yeah, street drainage. I think a lot of diseases they have found in in the tropical areas that if you let water sit for a long time or if if they don't have the water moving through quickly can cause a lot of of sickness for the kids and and who else but so they had a really unique sewer system like in the US we have curb and guttering uh-huh. and that flows into like grates that yeah. go under under the ground there they just had these huge canals <laughs> that were like uncovered and maybe maybe only 12 inches wide but they would be eight feet deep. Oh, wow. And so it was always amazing to me, these kids, I'm like, how many kids fall in these in these, Jeez, these really? drains every year? But again, that's part of that third world, just kind of making do with what you have. Mm-hmm. But the nice concrete uh, sidewalks and a lot of these little pueblos that I, you could tell the government was trying to improve the infrastructure in the most economical way they could. Yeah. Well, we also, we were, we actually flew into Peru, into Lima, um, two days before we went to Pacota. So we had this, a little bit of a Lima experience, and then we went to Pacota, and then we came back and extended our stay to go, to continue looking in Peru. So we actually went to Cusco, 
which is in southern Peru, which is the closest city to Machu Picchu. And then we went back to Lima and finished there. So we saw a wide variety of living conditions. And there's poor areas and all throughout. But where we were primarily for the mission portion was was very poor. Um, And so it was pretty you know, simple living conditions and dirt floors. Though it's so interesting, when we were in, um, it was the Sunday that we were there, we had gone to a village to go to Mass. It was only accessible, but we had to cross a river. It was like a, a, I say, what's the word? I guess it it fed to the Amazon River. We had to cross that on uh, this big barge to even get to the village. But while we were there, we had encountered a family and gone inside their home, and they had dirt floors. Um, But while we were in there, it started pouring rain, which is not uncommon where in that area, but started pouring rain, and the rest of our group was outside (laughs) in the rain. And we were in with, I think we had one missionary with us and our family, And I remember standing there with Charlie and Leo and looking outside at the rain just pouring. We were inside this house that with dirt floors and very minimal conditions and, you know, as you can imagine, but saying to the kids, like, look how lucky we are. We got to be (laughs) out of the rain in this home that, you know, Uh there's blessings that are seen throughout and. I don't know. That puts it into perspective, I guess. Wow. Yeah, that is really cool. Now, is the rain there like Kansas or is it, does it not come in from Joaquin? (laughs) (laughs) It just actually comes straight down. Unlike in Kansas, it actually rained there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true too. What is this rain stuff you talk about? It was rainforest rain. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, And maybe you guys give a little clue. I think Peru is pretty Catholic. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything before we kind of move on to um, post helping and coming back that you guys would like the listeners to hear um, before we skip over anything you want us to know? Well, one other thing I was thinking, you know, in addition to doing the manual labor that was actually physically helping with improvements, we did do a lot of prayer with families. And it really, a lot of knocking on doors and seeing how we could pray with somebody. And that was completely new to to myself and to the kids. Um, We called it treasure hunting. And so what we would do is um, in each group or a couple of times throughout, we would sit in quiet prayer and then group prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to tell us really who who it, what it is that we were looking for and kind of like a scavenger hunt in a way that you know what am i looking for um, a red dress am i looking for a soccer ball am i looking for whatever it is um, and then we all just in a circle start saying those images or those words that were they called them words of knowledge or words of wisdom forget forget which one, that we were sort of having put on our heart, shared them. And then when we would go out into the village, we were looking for those things. And oh my gosh, it worked every time. <laughs> um, we would share in the evenings everybody's story. So it wasn't just my the groups that I was in, but the groups that we were all in, um, just being called to look for Here's an example. Chad, the, ver- the only time I think you participated, he said to me his word was green leaves. But obviously there's green leaves everywhere. everywhere. Uh-huh. And so he was like, that can't be it. That's Why would I think green leaves? <laughs> but then we had gone into a home and prayed with a family. And then there was a woman standing outside the 
the house when we finished and she was in a nightgown with little tiny green leaves on it. And she was pregnant, but also had a little a little baby that was, I don't know, a year old or so who was sick. And so she needed, um, she wanted prayers, wanted some help. We had a nurse with us who was able to go get medicine for the baby. And um, it ended up being, we had a really moving experience with her. And she had green leaves on her nightgown <laughs> that it was like, Okay, <laughs> you never know what what no, it's going that, to be. It was little things like that happened over and over and over again. That's a great testimony to bring back because I think you know you may be sitting in. I have this happen all the time, but sometimes I I'm ashamed to say that I let it pass. You know, sometimes you haven't thought of somebody for maybe five years even, and all of a sudden, boom. There's their name in your head, and you're just like, yeah, that's curious, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. But especially when it's sitting at, um, in adoration, that is something that we should bring more often is, God, who is, who's suffering right now more than me that needs my prayers? Um, and if there is somebody, yeah, I, I love that testimony because he'll let you know. Mm-hmm. And, I've, and I've thought the same thing, you know, I can get sucked into mindless scrolling on Facebook and just looking at what's ever, but doing the same thing – but with a while I'm scrolling here, tell me who it is I need to look for who needs extra prayers, whether you tell them or not that you're praying for them or or maybe called to reach out. But um, I think that's a way to do it in our mod- yeah. in this world, too, you know, where knocking on people's doors is little bit more intimidating here. Yeah, yeah, you don't go around the United States and knock on people's doors and ask to pray <laughs> with them. It's sad, but yeah, it's just even if someone did that to me, it'd be like I'd be a little what do you what's going on here? It's just but in that culture, it's it's much more acceptable and much more uh normal to be around and ask those people those things and they're very welcoming. Come into my home. Yeah, let me tell you about my life and we heard some amazing stories of people's lives and you know, beautiful things and, and tragic things, but um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful to have that face-to-face, in-person contact with people. That uh, now that I think about it, they're in some little hut in the middle of a rural area in Peru, and I'm up here in Hayes, America. And for whatever reason of confluence of events, we were in the same room for a little while praying together. So pretty cool. Yeah. One of the other, just another anecdote from the the treasure hunting. The word that I had. One of the words I had was mirror, and I was like, mirror? There's not not even a lot of mirrors here, you know, but we were walking in this village, and um, I what caught me was my reflection in a doorway. It was somebody's front door that had a mirror in the doorway, and I stopped, and we knocked, and it, there was nobody home at that house, but in our knocking, a woman came out from the house next door, and we had a wonderful exchange with her and, and prayed with her and um, helped her out. But it wasn't – it was only after doing some reflection afterward that I think that the mirror was for myself, for me to see myself in that reflection and and say, oh, no, you need to pray for yourself as well just because I'm hard on myself, you know, and, and things. And so it was a really neat, like, no, don't forget that – you're a child of God too, and you are worthy, and you are you are loved, and and it was a really moving experience that I took back from the week too. Yeah, that is fantastic. Because as you guys are speaking, I, I'm sitting there thinking, how sad is it that we are? And I agree, I would be the same way too. Like, 
why are you at my front door? <laughs> you know, like, okay, first tell me if you want something and then maybe we can have a conversation. But how, how amazing would it be if that's, if that is how our culture was here? Um, and I think that is a call to some of us um, is to, um, you know, maybe God's not asking you to walk around your neighborhood and knock on doors. Um, but what, what can we do in our own family? You know, there are a lot of families that don't even pray together. Um, because, you know, and some of it maybe is not because they just don't want to, because they're, well, it's kind of awkward. Well, I don't want to be the person that starts it, you know, um, Mr. Minor, you know, from at school, <laughs> it's to get a kid to, to, and I can understand in front of your peers, you know, when you ask a kid, okay, give me a heartfelt prayer. Usually every kid is like, please, can, can I write you a paper or something? Do I have to do this? <laughs> you know, um, but, but you know, to be vulnerable in those situations. <laughs> absolutely. And so I, I get it, but um, how, how amazing would that be if that's what we did in our own homes, um, our schools um, and in our small communities is just started a culture of that where we were able to just say, you know what? Um, I was praying today and you were on my mind. Um, is there anything mm-hmm. you need prayer for? Like, What's that going to hurt? <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt anything. And these, the people that we encountered were so grateful. Yeah. You know, they weren't like, what are you doing here? You know, <laughs> they were so great. They kept coming out and handing us coconuts. We would end up with like, no, we can't carry any more coconuts with us. Um, or chick- or the priest who was with us was gifted a chicken that, <laughs> really? that from after praying with a family. And it just... Yeah, they yeah, were no, so I think grateful. he offered – it was one of those pueblos where they don't get mass very often. Yeah. And since we had a priest with us, he was able to not just have a prayer service. He could actually celebrate the mass. And so one of the elderly women of that parish brought him a chicken and thanked him <laughs> for coming all this way to say mass in their – so – yeah, that and, is great. And then Father ate that chicken two days later. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't last very long. Yeah. <laughs> they named her, though. The kids did. <laughs> How wonderful. Trips. Well, I want to say really quick, too, after we finished our week in um, Picota, we, we, like I said, we extended our trip. And we went to Machu Picchu. We did do that. But then we went to Lima, and we were able to go visit the tombs of um, the two saints who were the first trivia the first trivia question, we went to the oh, tomb wow. of St. Martin de Porres and of St. Rose of Lima. And so we really saw this as not just a mission trip, but a pilgrimage for our family to go and take. We um, Chad's dad is, is ill, and so we took his his cause with us um, in, those, um, in those visits so that we could, you know, ask for their prayers mm-hmm. in person. And that was a big part of our of our journey as well. I mean, do you have anything to add, Chad? Yeah, no, it was just yeah, being able to go and see where those saints lived and and swept the floor. And you know, Saint Martin de Porres is an amazing saint. If you have interest in saints' lives, he's definitely one you need to to uh, learn about. Um, but just to be able to see that, see the devotion of the people there for him. And then to take our own personal intentions there, uh, it just, along with the mission, um, it just capped it off as a great vacation, a great learning experience, and, and again, feeling very grateful for the gifts God has given us uh, to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, the kids, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't know what the seeds that were planted will become. Yeah. Um, I, I just hope that they were seeds that were planted because um, they everybody has to take their own, you know, control of their own spiritual life and, and make it their own as they become uh, adults and young people. So um, Sarah might have a better insight on that. She's a little more 
perceptive on, on well, that. Well, I will say that Charlie, he's our eighth grader. And so we had said everybody would have to do a mission trip after their ninth grade year. Um, and so he brought it up to me the other day. He goes, where do you think I should go for my mission trip after ninth grade? That's and I'm good. like, oh, we're going, we're going again, are we? <laughs> um, but one thing that they, you know, part of the the daily life also included a lot of reflection time. And in the evenings, um, you would share as a group and then share in small groups. And I was actually in the same group as Charlie, but Leo was not in my group. Leo's my fifth grader, and Uh he was in a different group. And everybody had to go around at some point over the week and give their own testimony. And um, Charlie did it the night that I was caught up with Abe and not not currently with the I wasn't with the group when he did his so I didn't even get to hear his he probably planned it that way he did he he volunteered (laughs) when I wasn't there but the night that Leo did his I looked over and I saw him talking because I could see their group I just couldn't hear him and then I saw him start crying and then I saw everybody hugging him and then I watched him just kind of you know he Oh, he just took in, he just was soaking it all in. And I I don't really even know what he said. Um, everybody told me after afterward how wonderful it was. But he, I, you know, I know that there, there are seeds planted and he may yeah. have only been going into fifth grade. And, but who knows how that will yeah. how, impact him later. Absolutely. You cannot so, be. You cannot be touched by Christ and not be moved, I mean, yeah. at least in some way. So that is a beautiful thing. I, you've already kind of mentioned probably going somewhere <laughs> else again, but don't know. So would you? I would imagine yes. Um, and then if so, how do you really choose where to go? I know you guys said you worked with an agency. Um, is it just kind of wherever they're going? Or how would you give advice to somebody else who's like, you know what? I, I think that maybe God's calling me to do this. Yeah, I think if, if – first of all, if you're a young person, maybe a college student, um, there's probably a lot more avenues open to you for mission work. Um, Catholic Mission uh, – Family Mission Company – that Sarah mentioned, who's who we went with, is fantastic for both college missionaries, and then they have that added element of families that can go. Um, but when you're talking about a family, maybe if you have family with young kids, I think a lot of those families think, well, that's not for me. I can't do that in this stage of life. But Family Mission Company made that very accessible. Um, there's no guarantees. It's a third world country, and things can happen. So mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's it's so, so safe. But it... It is definitely well-run, trustworthy people, 100% Catholic, and doing it for the right reasons. And they have mission sites throughout the world. So when you, if you look at that company, you would probably be limited to the places they have mission sites. Yeah. Um, and as COVID is in different countries, is it different? There are some countries that are still very much doing COVID restrictions. So, yeah. you know, as far as picking a place to go in the future, I, I would say whatever places they have would be. The, the ones we would look at, but do a search for Catholic mission organizations. And there are so many different options out there, especially for single people or um, adults um, who might be able to do long-term. It can, it can be an amazing part of your life. And I would say, don't, don't, don't find all the excuses why you can't do it, but uh, start looking at the ways you might be able to do it. Okay. I'll say, too, that we've, we found them to be pretty affordable as well. I mean, we had an all-in like all per family price that, given that it included our accommodations and our food for a week, 
we felt like that was it was very affordable in that way. Plane right. tickets were an added an added expense. But they have sites, like I said, they have two in Peru. They have Ecuador, um, Costa Rica, Mexico, um, but also a further in Indonesia and Nepal and Philippines. the Philippines. Those are their, their big ones. Um, I do know, too, that they have already announced a family or a, a trip, I guess, or a mission opening that is on their currently there have listed on Facebook that is for neck the end of next May into June in the same place where we were. It's called in Pacota, Peru. So if anybody is truly feeling like they want to find out more, they are currently taking spots, you know, for that for that trip to the same place where we went. Okay. And I, um, I love shameless plugs. <laughs> and so I'm going to put one in for um, TMP's junior high here. Um, something that was started this year. We often think of mission trips as hopping on a plane and going somewhere else. Through uh, TMP's junior high, the eighth graders have now been given a chance just about once every month Correct, Mr. Meitner? Yeah. We are able to um, take a a select few, two to three students and their parents, and go to the Samaritan House in Denver. Um, And I just got back uh, with my son and a couple of others from this. uh, And I have to say, uh, you know, that um, if if you can't afford something huge, um, look in our own area. I mean, there are even ways where we can go on mission here in Hayes. And so, um, yeah, don't always think about mission as it has to be far away, but that's also another one where um, you have a chance to uh, go somewhere actually pretty close um, and see the poor even within a huge city that has many people with lots of money. We've still got poor people there and poor people here too. And so is there anything I you guys want to add I would say that we probably both hear about those instances here in our community, Chad, through the school and just his encounters with the parish or with families that come. But my job at the Heartland Community Foundation, I also am hearing about needs that our nonprofits are facing and the volunteers that they are in need of. Yeah, I mean, there's there's ways to serve and ways to be. I think there, we talked about this while we were there. There's ways to be a missionary in your own home, in the yeah. way that you evangelize to your children, in the way that you model charitable, compassionate you know, life living and, you know, your, your, your mission field is where you, where you choose to see it because it's, it's, there's opportunities there. Fantastic. And Chad, anything from you? No, I couldn't say better than she just did. Your mission field is where you're at at the moment. And uh, to listen to a lot of different saints who've talked about love the simple acts of love, like St. Therese of Lisieux, doing those simple things all the way to those great missionaries who've established missions in other countries. Anywhere on that whole spectrum uh, is where God could be calling any of us. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you, Cody. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Folks, heaven is unseen, and so are these airwaves. However, if you want to save unseen souls for heaven, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. One body.